If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. If not, all the scriptures I'll be using will be on the screen. Now, I seek the Lord about every message I, I give. I pray over every message as well. This one just seemed that I prayed more. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to your mind and your heart in a new way. Otherwise, you will probably hear this message like the typical American Christian, which is not my hope today, because I want us to go deeper. My subject this morning will be kingdom freedom. In the past few weeks, we've been going through the message that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5. He began in chapter 5 and went through on chapter 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. It began in chapter 5, verse 1, where Jesus talked about kingdom characteristics. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we talked about how those attributes, those characteristics that we need to show as his people, they're not a buffet table. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to stick with the steak and avoid the broccoli. And now you see how I approach a buffet table. Then we went the following week into this area of chapter 5 where he talked about kingdom responsibilities or kingdom influence. Those popular scriptures where he says, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth and how we're to be an influence and how he ended that passage by saying, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And then last week, we talked about kingdom expectations, about having an expectation that the good that we do, that the righteousness that we want to embrace, it's higher than just what's visible, but that it goes deeper. Now, in this next section, Jesus is going to talk about very real issues. He's going to talk about murder and anger and, 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 and um, adultery and divorce and oaths and retaliation and human kindness. And yet all of that can be summed up. This entire passage from Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 5, verse 21, to the end of the chapter, verse 42, can be summed up at the end in verse 38, where he says, You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic... Well, let him have your cloak also. Never compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You see, we can talk about the physical act of murder, but we can't really and have any hope of getting to the root causes without talking about anger. You see, we can't talk about the issue of adultery without getting to the root causes and talking about lust. We can't talk about the issue of divorce without going to the issue of unfaithfulness. We can't talk about swearing and oaths and things like that 
unless we get to the place of talking about root issues about how important to so many of us our reputations are. But all of this can be summed up in one main thought in this passage, and that citizenship in the kingdom of God is something that provides for you and me freedom. In John chapter 8, verse 36, we're told that, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Christ came to give us freedom. Unfortunately, in our American society, we think of freedom in only one way. We think of freedom in terms of no constraints on what I can think about, on what I can say, and what I can do. No rules to follow, and no orders to obey. I can do what I want, wherever I want, no matter what anybody says. And people call that freedom. Sorry, I call that chaos. Yet freedom in God's kingdom, I believe, is so much better than the human definition that we often portray. And yet it's foreign. And it's oftentimes hard to see it as freedom. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, give him the left cheek. Hmm. If someone wants to take you to court to take your tunic or your coat, give him your cloak as well. Hmm. If someone asks you to travel one mile, go two miles. Now you have to understand the context there. Often under Roman rule, the Jewish people were required if a Roman soldier said, come with me one mile, they were, by Roman law, they had to go one mile. They didn't have to go any further than that, but they were required, no matter what the Roman soldier wanted or why, they had to go one mile. And Jesus is saying, okay, go two. And if anyone wants to borrow from you, give it to him. And that's freedom. Now, I know what you're thinking. Huh? How is this freedom? This is not freedom that I recall. You see, what we're looking at today, and what I, why I, I, I've prayed so much that we look at it from a different perspective, is we're not looking at freedom from the perspective of freedom to do, but freedom from. Having our actions deter- not determined by the deeds of other people. Having our thoughts not controlled by what other people say and how other people behave. Having our lives not be these hopeless streams of reactions to the world around us. Having a freedom that in Christ we are able to worship him alone, to serve him alone, and to follow his leading alone. And we are free from having our behavior determined by the way other people behave toward us. That in Christ, you and I can choose to be loving no matter what else anybody else does. That you and I can choose to be kind, regardless of how mean and nasty other people are. I know none of you have any mean or nasty people in your lives, it's just me. You can choose to serve other people who don't really promote the idea of being served. And it's regardless of how they act. 
In the book of Romans, chapter 12, beginning of verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. It, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap holes of fire on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard, plan in advance, be prepared to see the good and beautiful in all things, in all people. And he quotes from the Old Testament that God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, starve him. No, that's not what it said. It's feed him. And if he is thirsty, just choke him out the rest of the way. No, no. Give him drink. And what we're giving them, because again, this is our enemy. We're not just feeding him. We're feeding him the good stuff. We're not going to go home and make this homemade batch of amazing lasagna. And then when the enemy comes to the door, give him Chef Boyardee out of the can. <laughs> That's not feeding your enemy. We're going to overcome evil with good. Because I think human history has more than proven overcoming evil with evil doesn't work. When they mess with you, we need to understand that you're not alone in this world, that you and I have a heavenly father. So when they mess with me, they're messing with my daddy. They're messing with one of God's children. So I don't need to pray for me. I need to pray for you because God will repay this is beyond security. This is beyond trust. It provides for me a freedom. Not because of anything I'll do or because of anything I am or because of anything within me, but because simply of whom or to whom I belong. See, God is my Lord. You mess with me, you mess with him. Now, can this principle take into an extreme? Yeah, it can. Should you stay in a physically abusive situation? No, you should not. I'll make that clear right now. But this speaks more about your heart. This speaks more about my heart than talking about the person or the individual that's creating the harm. Because so many of us need to have our own hearts mended, our own hearts healed, so that we can stand before the Lord and understand that there is no power that can truly hurt me. See, this is not about teaching people lessons. I'll show them. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. It's just me. And this is not simply about fighting for injustice, which we need to do. This is about your heart. Our Lord gives us the power to overcome the influences of others where it matters most. Freedom from the bondage of that statement that all of us have said, I couldn't help myself. The popular preacher George Meyer coins a phrase about 
the battle begins in the mind. She tells a story that she was home with her children and she was yelling at them. And I mean yelling at them big time. Yelling at them loud. Try and picture it. I know many of us haven't experienced that. but And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door and she can notice through the window, it's the pastor. And she knows that the yelling can be heard outside the door. It's, it was that loud. She tells a story that she opened the door and she goes, why, pastor, so good to see you. Freedom, true freedom. He goes into specific sections in this passage about freedom from what? Freedom from anger. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. This whole passage is basically saying we can focus so much attention on the physical outcomes when the actual reality is that the issues within inside of us need to be addressed as well. Anger. So many people deal with that today. Now, I'm hoping anger hasn't led any of you to commit murder. If it has, we can talk later. But anger can have you say some hurtful things. It can have you destroy people emotionally. It can have you remove that connection that is supposed to exist between your brain and your mouth so that the, the mouth just kind of goes on its own, never checking in with what the brain wants it to say. Again, I'm sure none of us have had this. You can now counsel other people. Also, oftentimes, we have this thing where we can be in a place where we become controlled by it, consumed by it. And the Lord is saying we don't have to. We don't have to. We can live free. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. And I'm not trying to minimize or diminish the significance of what has gone on in any of our lives. But we're talking about freedom right now. We're talking about being in a place where you and I can come and just be free. Be free to be loving. Be free to be kind. Be free to be open. And we're not going to be able to be free in the future if we're bound to the past. We're not going to be able to extend love to others in the future if there are people from 20 and 30 years ago who still have a hold on who we are. 
So we're given freedom from anger. He also says we're given freedom from lust. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard it said, as it is said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable that you that one of you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Now, do not leave this building today and say that Pastor Hiram said you should be plucking out your eyes and cutting off your hands. I did not say that. Always got to put in these disclaimer nowadays. What Jesus is saying is that oftentimes the physical manifestations of the sins we commit go far deeper and occurred far earlier than the actual moment. It's not just about what we see. It's not just about what we hear. Things begin in the heart. He's also talking about with the whole eye and hand thing about taking personal responsibility. That's one of the principles we're trying to cover on Thursday night. No more excuses. This is the freedom that Christ came to give you and me. That I don't have to walk bound. I don't have to walk with blinders. I don't have to walk with earplugs in my head. I can go through this crazy, chaotic world free to experience peace, free to experience joy, free to experience the love that we sang about today. Freedom from anger, freedom from lust, freedom from self-justification. It's always fun when anybody in any situation talks about marriage. Some people call it fun. I often try to avoid it at any cost, except today. Matthew chapter 5, I'll go back to Thursday 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. The law provided that a man could divorce his wife because it was Tuesday. For any reason, as long as the proper paperwork was processed. And this was for the man, because back then the woman had no recourse. This allowed a man, someone in a position of power specifically, to use that power for his own good, for his own needs, for his own desires, regardless of whatever was going on around him. Let's go deeper into this whole concept. Mark chapter 10, verse number 2. The Pharisees came and asked him, him being Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce, reference back in Matthew, and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, or the bitterness of your hearts, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So them, they are no longer two, but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Back then, there were two schools of thought among Jewish scholars. One believed that you could only divorce your wife if sexual immorality was involved. The other school of thought among scholars was that you could divorce your wife if dinner got burned or if anything came up. And they came to Jesus, and it clearly it says they were not coming to him to get his opinion on the matter. They were coming to him to test him. And again, this school of thought, both of them only applied for the man. They wanted Christ to take sides. And the first thing he does was go back to the word of God, was go to what Moses said. And he has them quote from Deuteronomy chapter 24, where it was said you needed to have a writ of divorce based on sexual immorality. And he clarifies or provides a context for why Moses said that in that it was for the bitterness or the hardness of your own hearts. They were so consumed with the question, so interested in the debate, they began to forget God's design for marriage, that it was a lifelong commitment. Now, I am not looking to put, put guilt or keep guilt on anyone. Many have faced extremely difficult and trying situations. But in this context, these leaders that were coming to the Lord were coming to him concerned with a debate and forgetting about the original design God created. Now, how does this fit in what, in what we're discussing? What's this got to do with freedom? Your actions don't have to be controlled by the poor choices other people make. My reactions can be more in line with my faith than my feelings. We have it in our world today that if someone comes against me in a way and stirs up my feelings, that therefore my actions are somehow justified. And again, I'm not advocating staying in abusive situations. But Jesus was talking about a very real, very relevant situation back then, and it's just as relevant today. When emotions are flying in so many directions that we're not able to experience peace or joy or love, let alone begin to contemplate and form within us forgiveness for others. Well, I'm here to declare all of that is only possible with a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Didn't think this was going to be very popular. But it is his word. We are free. Free in him. We're also free from needing too many words instead of just saying the simple ones. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is God's footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair of, of, of one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, 
and your no-no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Maybe you have noticed it. I have. People talk too much. They just talk too much. Especially when they're trying to convey something they believe is true. I'm going to give you this advice. And you have to believe me. Because I've tested it. And I looked it up here. And I got it from that TV show. And this time, is it true or not? Let your yes be yes. Do you believe this to be true? Yes. Are you sure? I just said yes. But are you really sure? How many more ways do you want me to say yes? And you're against this. Yes, I, I, I don't believe this. My answer to that question is no. But what do you really feel? No. But I want to be sure. How do you really feel? Let me try it in Spanish. No. We can get so bogged down and all these additional words are doing is us making an attempt to justify a reputation. But you and I can stand clear and stand free and stand firm in Jesus. Freedom to be able to fulfill the very next passage in Matthew 5 verse 43. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Now, if you're a tax collector, I don't want you to feel bad right now. But we have freedom to love. We have freedom to be able to extend love to all people and specifically to the people who aren't extending love to us and even more specifically to the people who not only are not extending love to us but are extending the opposite. Freedom not only to love them but to bless those who curse you. We talked about this last week. Freedom to do good to those who says who use you and do it spitefully, which means they do it with you in mind. Freedom that we can get closer to verse 48 in chapter 5. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Or the word in Greek in Aramaic means mature. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. From all we've talked about, this is who our Heavenly Father is. I don't know if any of you have noticed, it's kind of crazy out there. And at times it's gone beyond kind of crazy, it goes to kind of nuts. And it can be upsetting. 
it can take us to a place where just the existence of it just makes us wonder about everything, even the things we know are sure and certain. And for many, especially for us in the household of faith, it's unlike any time we've seen, which then has us thinking in terms of the Lord's second coming. I've been asked a lot lately, and I guess it's fair that I'd be asked this. Given that all that's happening, do I believe we are the last generation? Is this the time? And my answer is always the same. It could be. It could be. But see, here's my hesitation. What we're experiencing today in America, the chaos, the injustice, the uncertainty, the anxiety, what we're experiencing today, our brothers and sisters in third world countries have been experiencing for decades. See, I've been to Kenya, I've been to Zimbabwe, I've been to Indonesia, I've been to the Philippines. And they would look at what we're experiencing today as the tip of the iceberg. And they've been experiencing this for decades. I shared a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was in Kenya, one of the brothers I was ministering with came to me and said, I'm praying for all of our brothers and sisters in America. And I thought, great, that's wonderful. Keep praying. And I asked him, because I guess I was curious, what are you praying for specifically? And he said that the Lord would bring you and all the people of America more persecution. I said, stop. Stop. What are you talking about? And he explained that through persecution, he has seen in his own country how it has strengthened the church. How it has grounded their beliefs. And it has put a foundation under all that they stand for. That it has removed in so many areas the shallowness that can accompany people of faith. And isn't that a good thing he said to me? And I went, yeah, okay. You keep praying. I haven't spoken to him since. We are not called upon to just kind of walk through this existence tied to the nonsense that goes on around us. You were created for better than that. You were created for more than that. You are created in the image of Almighty God. You are special. The Bible calls you lovely. The Bible calls you the apple of his eye. So are you dealing with anger today or lust or anxiety? Are you dealing with the immaturity of other people around you? Or the hurt that other people can cause? If you are in any of those categories, there's an answer. And it's the power and love that Jesus came to give, that he has provided. Because as I said before in John chapter 8, verse 36, therefore if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Now, I have my own very specific and detailed understandings about this un upcoming collection. Oh, good, Pastor, you gonna tell us you're gonna vote for? No. Quite frankly, it's none of anybody's business. I do know one thing. No matter who wins, no matter the makeup of Congress, 
no matter what happens in reaction to either side winning, Jesus will still be Lord. He will still be on the throne and my future, my eternal future will not change because somebody different or somebody the same sits in the White House. My eternal future is about who sits on the throne. And he makes me free. Now, do things politicians say get me angry? They used to get me more angry. Now I just look at them and say, politician. But Jesus wants to make you free today. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you able to stand tall and be able to accomplish all that you were designed to accomplish. A life filled with the love of Christ. A life filled with the power of Christ. A life filled with freedom. Stand with me, please.